Well, aloha, friends. I am Mel, and today I am not alone. You are joining Chatting with Mel, and you are joining a friend of mine that I am so excited to introduce to you today. Her name is Jan Smiley. Can you say hello to everyone, Jan? Hi, everybody. <laughs> today I have Jan on the line, and she has taken time away from her fun-filled day to, to share with us not just about her love and history in yarn and fiber and things that are crafty, but also to share with us something fantastic that you have coming very soon. And instead of working from your past and going forward, Jan, I'd like to take the activity, the wonderful thing that you have planned in the next few weeks now. It's only weeks away. I know. Um, I'd like to talk about that first and then kind of connect the dots from the past that brought you there. So okay, can perfect. you in short tell everyone what I'm just circling around? <laughs> well, unless I'm mistaken, you are talking about the upcoming Carolina Fiber Frolic Retreat. Yes, I am. And it is scheduled uh, in March, March 20 to 22 in Sapphire, North Carolina. Now, Sapphire, North Carolina is just as wonderful as the retreat that you have there. And so can you take a moment and share with us what Sapphire is like? Well, Sapphire is, a, it's not even a small town. It's barely um, a dot on the map. It is about an hour southwest of Asheville for people to kind of reference where in the mountains it is. It's in the mountains of Western North Carolina, and it is a gorgeous area that um, just has, it has a lot of waterfalls, a lot of hiking trails, uh, a lot of artistic people, a lot of really good restaurants, and we happened to find it as the new home for the Carolina Fiber Frolic Retreat um, several years ago when we were looking to move the retreat to a new location. Where was the frolic prior to Sapphire? The first two years that we held it, it was in Charleston, South Carolina. And that was also a, a nice location for us, except that um, they started pricing us out of the market and nobody could afford to go to the retreat if we yeah. continued to have it there. So we needed to find a venue that was more affordable for all of us. Yes, I can speak firsthand as to the beauty of Sapphire because last year I was so delighted to have the opportunity to come and be a part of the Carolina Fiber Frolic. And driving in, even though it was evening time, which a sidebar for those people who might be new to listening, um, I have spent many years on a very small island and hadn't driven more than I would say maybe 20 or 30 minutes. <laughs> and so from my home on the coast of North Carolina to get to this part in Western North Carolina was a bit of a jaunt, but the drive was beautiful. And as I came in to the area very close to Sapphire. It was just picturesque, beautiful. Even in the evening as, as it's, it's darker, your lights from your car would shine as the, as the roads curved and twisted and just pop through the, the trees. And then waking up the next morning to just the, the magnificence of the mountains of North Carolina. So it's, it's, you've picked an incredible spot. We've been really fortunate that it's worked out and that everybody, um, most, most of the people who had been attending in Charleston followed us to the mountains for the retreat. So that speaks well for the location too. 
Yes. So the location is fantastic. For those of you who have never visited Western North Carolina before, uh, think of the Biltmore Estate, which is in Asheville, which is just out, which Sapphire is just outside of. Um, Asheville is also known for The Last of the Mohicans, a, a picturesque cinema, cinema beauty uh, of a movie. And that area is just lush and green and gorgeous. And as you said, filled with crafty people. So you have a convergence of crafty people and they all are coming together at this spot for classes and time of fellowship and fun. I know last year we had a great amount of fun. And so if you don't mind, can you tell us in as many words as you like what your, your vision is for this year's frolic to be like? Well, this year's frolic is going to be the largest one we've had yet. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're probably going to cap, have to cap registration at a certain level um, just because of the venue space. And in addition to the, the largest, which I'm not talking large, we're talking 50 people or so about, about that number max. Um, but also we have the largest variety of classes to offer this year that people can sign up for. Um, we've got weaving classes, we've got spinning classes, we've got knitting classes, we've got a felted a felting class, we've got an indigo dyeing class, um, we've got a yarn dyeing with acid dyes class. Um, and so I think, you know, and we've got design classes for knitters. So I think we're, you know, we're appealing to, a, well, most of us don't just have one fiber interest. If you're interested <laughs> in fiber, even if it's not something else that you actually participate in, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you're not interested in learning more about it. So it's a good opportunity to, for people to be exposed to other topics that they may not yet have explored yet. So we have a, a, an array of classes that are a focal point of your retreat. But that's not, I found out very quickly last year that that, though it is a wonderful attribute of the frolic, the heart of the frolic is a little bit different than just the classes, wouldn't you say? I would totally agree with you. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that we um, set the retreat up the way we do, where registration includes, you know, your retreat expenses and your meals. But if you want to take classes, those are a la carte mm -hmm. because some people, either their budget doesn't allow them to do very many classes or, you know, they just want to come and bring their own works in progress and enjoy the weekend. So people who want to explore other topics and keep a schedule can sign up for classes, but people who just want to come and enjoy the mountains and enjoy the weekend and the fireplaces can do that as well. And it really is a collection of amazing, gifted people that, um, that though they are just filled with knowledge, they like to have fun. What really, <laughs> what really surprised me last year is just the let your hair down and have good, silly, wholesome fun. And um, do you want to share with people just so they know kind of uh, maybe one of the favorite things that you've done in the past as something fun? Well, uh, it varies from retreat to retreat, um, what evening activities we have. And we've kind of added more evening activities to the fall retreat where people aren't busy all day in classes. Mm -hmm. So we're trying not to overschedule people or overcommit people so that there actually is relaxation time. Mm -hmm. But at the end of every day, um, the community center where we hold the event closest to the public and so then it's our private facility for the rest of the evening and that's when happy hour starts 
and that's when you know any e evening activities that we're going to have fashion show and those kinds of things that's when those things take place yeah and there's an element of competition to it as well and i won't share those i know those might be something that you want to keep close to the chest but the um the fun <laughs> the fun activities as far as like games and competitions just were so memorable to me and um really give you an opportunity to connect with other people in some some very lighthearted ways. So you right. do a very great, great, great job of that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, the, the Carolina Fiber Frolic dates one more time. March 20 to 22, which is a Friday through a Sunday noon. Do you want to share real quickly before we talk more about the history of it, um, of a few classes and a few of the teachers that you have um, secured for this year? Well, you are coming and teaching a substituting yarn class as well as a sweater design class. Mm -hmm. For spinners, uh, Abby Frankamont is coming from Ohio. She is the oh, author yay. of Respect the Spindle, and she is teaching five different spinning classes. Oh. People can take one or two or all five as their heart desires. We have a beginning rigid heddle weaving class as well as a Sayori-inspired weaving class for people who may be interested in more freeform styles of weaving. Okay. We have a Zoom Loom class. We have the Indigo Dyeing class. We have uh, Charles Gandhi, who is author of, and I can't think of the name of his book right now. I'll have it in the show notes. Okay, great. Or if it comes um, to you. He is coming and teaching uh, many different ways for casting on and binding off, as well as a finning, finishing class. He's mm -hmm. really well known for his embellished socks. Oh, yeah. um, and then we have the Kismet Fiberworks um, business is going to be there both as a vendor and they are also teaching a yarn dyeing class. So one of the skeins in that class will be a hand-painted skein and the other they will be dyeing a sock blank that they can take apart later and knit. Oh, wow. And then uh, the felted notebook class, I'm really excited about that one as well because uh, the woman who's teaching that is just really amazing at attention to detail. And I know that everybody's going to leave with the most beautiful little felted notebook that, you know, shows their personality as well as, you know, the instructor's personality coming through. So I'm excited about all of them. That was one that really excited me. Although um, the spinning classes as well, I have both the Respect the Spindle book and the video and right. um, looking forward to, to meeting her in person. But um, all of the classes sound wonderful. So you've put together quite a collection of crafty things for people to come and experience, or you have the option of just being able to sit and knit with friends and you do a great job of it. I know last year I was so tickled to meet uh, the, the gals who came together to make the Carolina, um, oh, the the uh, Janice and Anne, the Carolina Fiber Girls. Right. Yes. Okay. I was going to say yeah. the Frolic Girls, but um, there's such a great cohesive time of bonding, and it just seems like it wasn't just happenstance. Can you kind of share with us from your perspective as the kind of the driving force of getting this together, what it was like when you started off and kind of that evolution of where it started and where it has come to be now? Well, it started because um, the, the retreat started in 2010. So this will be the sixth spring retreat. And it started because I had learned to spin and 
researched uh, spinning focused retreats in the southeast and mm -hmm. couldn't find anything else in the Carolinas or Virginia that I was familiar with. So I knew that there were other people who were spinners and who were interested in spinning. Uh, so I did a survey monkey to find out, you know, with the different groups in the Carolinas to find out what people would be interested in. And obviously, it's evolved to not just be spinning. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, most people don't just do one fiber craft. We all kind of merge and the lines cross. So and that actually has added a real dynamic element to the retreat is because people are seeing things that they hadn't seen before and being exposed to more than, you know, the, than the craft that they're already practicing. So it's always interesting to see the new mix of people. The vast majority of people who have attended previous retreats continue to come, mm -hmm. and as well as adding new people. And it's always interesting to see the, the merge of new people with people who already know each other when they get to the retreat. Mm -hmm. And my goal is just always to make sure that everyone feels comfortable and that there aren't clicks, you know, that people feel excluded from any conversations. And that, you know, as soon as somebody walks in the door, it's like cheers, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. hey, Mel's here. Oh, hey, It Susan's felt like here. that, you know, now that right. you say that, it definitely, uh, what was fun for me as a first timer last year is coming in and uh, there were people that knew me by way of the podcast, et cetera. Right. But um, there were a lot of people that didn't. And I, of course, didn't know very many faces. And when I, when I first came in, what was attractive is to see people who had good friendships really enjoying this time together as a chance to continue to foster that friendship. But wonderfully done was the way that though they kept that unity of a dear, sweet friendship, they, instead of brushing aside other people, they brought you in and they kind of wanted you to embrace that friendship too. And that's what I took away. I, I took away that there were some really lasting friendships that had been developed and started and nurtured there, but that I was wanted to be a part of these friendships. Absolutely. Great. And I'm really, yeah. And I'm really glad that that's come across because that is, you know, the intention and the, you know, the, the basis that we try to work from. Yay. So you did your survey monkey and you started putting this together and right. uh, was it really easy? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was a piece no. cake. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, not really. The hardest thing actually, um, because I have attended other fiber retreats where the natural lighting left something to be desired. Mm -hmm. And I really feel strongly about color and being able to see color and having natural light. Yes. So the first objective was to find a venue that had some windows yes. in the conference room. And that's much harder to come by than you might think. <laughs> <laughs> so we found that in Charleston. And then, like I said, when we needed to uh, find a new location, we just got really fortunate with this facility uh, in Sapphire that has both the um, retreat room and the classrooms have an entire wall of windows. Yes. So even if it's a gray day, there is still natural light coming in and you can still see what you're doing and you can still see if those colors go together. Uh, and it's, it's been fantastic, but no, um, nothing, uh, nothing organizing a variety of people from a variety <laughs> of states is going to be simple. Uh, but I will say that as the retreat has grown, you know, I've gained experience doing it. So um, everything tends to fall together. Do you feel like you've relaxed a bit more into your role or do you 
still feel, um, oh my goodness, I'm doing it. I'm putting this retreat on again. And do you have a, a sense of, I don't want to say angst, but, uh, you know, do you get nervous? Have things, have things changed quite a bit since the first couple and if well, so, it's, how? It, yeah, it's grown quite a bit in numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the first year we may have had about a dozen people who attended, and now mm-hmm. we're looking at, you know, over four dozen this year, which is probably about max. Um, I've had people talk about whether we're going to find a larger facility to accommodate growth, and I think we'll just... I like the size of this retreat. It's intimate enough that people get a chance to speak with everyone else who's there, mm-hmm. but yet there's enough room to bring new people in as people you know can't can't come that weekend or have a family obligation. So I think we'll keep it about this size. So it's grown, and that's brought some challenges. But I am a pretty relaxed person, so I try not to stress about things that mm-hmm. you know s- stress doesn't do any good anyway. No, it so I, yeah. <laughs> I just try to make sure, you know, if I'm prepared, everything goes just fine. And the teachers, everybody seems to be really accommodating and flexible, as well as the attendees. Uh, I've never felt pressure from anybody to, you know, make it bigger, do something differently. Um, So that's been great. Yeah, just have it more frequently. Have it as a monthly retreat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I used to like it, Mel. (laughs) We mean, it's just so much fun. It feels like you're going to visit you know, 40 something of your dearest friends. Right. And it, it really is a wonderful experience. And the, um, the collection I like is also a reflection of the collective nature of crafting. We have our older aunties reflected, right. and then it seems like you have the younger, hipper people. Women were coming with husbands in tow. So there are some men there and, you know, they, they kind of show up, but then they go off and I'm sure they hike or do whatever, but it has a very uh, friendly to your familia, you know? And even better this year, we have at least two and potentially three uh, mothers have contacted me who've said, you know, my daughter spins, can she come? You know, she would like to take this class or that class. And so, you know, they're either young teenagers or almost young teenagers. And it's like, absolutely, you know, your child and if they're ready for it, you know, bring them on. So we're actually getting the next generation to show up at the retreat already. I'm really excited about that. And that's really important. I think as as crafters, we love our craft so much. And, and it's, it is easier to share with people who already have, uh, have everything else in their life kind of squared away. So when they're doing their crafting, they come with, with more knowledge and more experience. But um, it's so rewarding to, to take that extra time and energy and effort to invest in younger people, because not only are they taking our craft and, and learning it, but they're sharing with us some really new, vibrant, key insight as to to how we can continue to make our our, our activities fresh and I agree and relevant. Yeah. So you have this retreat, but you have a love for a lot of crafty things and you have a, a talent for it. Um, can you share with us a bit about um, things outside of this retreat that really um, kind of showcase what it is that you do, what it is that you're, you're gifted or you're gifting or um, 
I'm, I'm actually wearing something that was gifted by your hands and we'll talk about that oh. in just a minute. But the fact that um, you're, you're pretty skilled at a few different things. Well, that's kind of you to say. Uh, when people ask me what I do, people, you know, just casually, or maybe they're trying to get their real story, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but I always refer to myself as a maker. I just have to be making something. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a family where if we wanted something, we needed to make it. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have disposable income when I was growing up. So if you wanted, you know, new dresses, you learned to sew. You know, parents, our parents would buy fabric if we were making the dresses. So if you wanted to learn how to, you know, if you needed something, you figured out a way to make it. And my father um, did a lot of carpentry and actually built the house that um, we moved into when I was a teenager. Oh my and he was very handy with all, of, all sorts of outdoor tools and things. And my mother is a very skilled knitter. She could sew, it wasn't her favorite thing, but my older sister was an amazing seamstress. So I just grew up, my grandmother, you know, would uh, crochet. My grand, one of my other grandmothers would uh, sew for me, even into college. If I would buy the fabric and cut the pattern out, that wasn't her favorite part, but if I cut the pieces out, she would sew for me. Oh. So I have always just been surrounded by uh, not just women, because my father was very crafty as well, or mm -hmm. craftsman. Um, so I've always been surrounded by people who make things. So it's just in my nature. I need to be making things. So when we were pregnant with our first child, who is going to be 27 next month, I decided I wanted to make her a quilt. I hadn't ever quilted before, but I <laughs> knew how to sew. And, right. you know, quilting is easy compared to sewing because the lines are straight. <laughs> so you don't have to make it fit a shoulder. So it was very easy. So that started me down the road to quilt making which led me to own a, a mail-order fabric business called Batiks Etc. Mm -hmm. because as I was making more and more quilts, I wanted to access more and more batik fabrics. Again, researched it, found out nobody was focusing on batik fabrics at this time. This was in the early 90s. And so I started Batiks Etc. and was very successful with that business. Uh, I sold that business um, in 1999 and it's still going strong. Wow. So the boutique business, after I sold the boutique business, then uh, one of the women who used to come on the road with me when I vended at shows as boutiques, et cetera, mm -hmm. had since moved to California and was working for a publishing company. And I ran into her randomly at a parking lot in Ohio. I lived in <laughs> South Carolina and she was in California and I ran into her. It must have been at a conference. I don't remember at a parking lot in Ohio. And she said, I've been meaning to call you. We're looking for somebody to, to do a book on batiks. Are you interested? And it was shortly after I had sold my business and enough time had passed that I was starting to think, okay, what's next? What's mm -hmm, next? Mm -hmm. And so I said, perfect timing, you know, let's talk. And so that led me to write the first book that I did for that publishing company, which is, that book is called Focus on Batiks. Mm -hmm. And the name of the publishing company is C&T Publishing. They're outside of San Francisco. And so the whole time I was writing that book, I kept talking to my editor and going, okay, what aren't you telling me yet? Because I'm having a really, I'm having way too much fun. Oh. And everybody tells me that writing a book is really hard. So what haven't you told me yet? And she's like, no, no, no you're doing fine. You're doing fine. And so I got done writing that book and I really did enjoy the process because I enjoy having uh, control over my own schedule. Mm -hmm. I still had children at home. I wanted to have uh, flexibility of, for when I worked. Mm -hmm. Of course, that means which 20 hours a day you can work some days, but at least I had flexibility and I was still at home. Um, so I finished that book and they said, okay, what else do you want to write about? 
And so that's what led to the three subsequent books that I did for them, which were uh, the progression of those. First was focus on batiks, mm -hmm. then was the art of fabric books. So I was still using fabric, but I was actually using it to make uh, journals, basically. Mm -hmm. And then after that one came the altered board books. Yes. And which was one step further, still doing book art, but less fabric based. Which is my kid's favorite book. <laughs> oh, sweet. And then the one that I did after that, I've really had the opportunity to travel a fair bit. Uh, and so the one after that was called um, Scrapbooks on the Go, which is actually mm -hmm. the way that I had been doing travel journals because I found out if we took lots of pictures on the trip, which everybody does, and you collect the brochures and you collect all the paraphernalia, and then you get home thinking, okay, now I'm going to scrapbook this. You never do because you get home and the groceries need to be purchased and the laundry needs to be done and the kids are back in school and it's crazy. So I started actually creating the travel journals while I was still traveling, which gave it a freshness mm -hmm. and um, just a real impact that they wouldn't have had if I had spent hours and hours laboring over every spread. And so um, that was my progression of books with, with C&T. And I had, they were, they're all very different, mm -hmm. but they, I had a blast doing each and every one of them. And it's interesting because I have the last two books that you mentioned. The kids do love the, they love my children, the younger two. Uh, they love books and we've collected lots of those board books over the years and then as they get older you keep some of them and then you have these sturdy books that um, you just want to repurpose it for something and it's very clever how you explain that and then we have the the, the book with the scrapbooking on the go and it's neat to hear you say that because uh, regarding the um, the way it just kind of flowed from one book into the next book mm -hmm. and then advanced to the next book. Cause you can kind of see that. Okay. I, I see now I, that I've seen both books. I can, I could kind of envision from your end of things, how it was just a natural progression. Right. It actually was. Yeah, absolutely. So you said earlier, um, you know, you, you sold your business, um, and there was some time and you were asking yourself what's next. Mm -hmm. And is that something you do frequently? Ah, what's next? <laughs> yes, I do. I am a Gemini. <laughs> and so I always kid my husband that he is the only thing in my life that's lasted longer than five or six years. Well, <laughs> obviously my kids can't really give them away and wouldn't want to. But um, every five or six years, I, I really enjoy a shift mm -hmm. of where my focus is. Um, so after I did the books, then uh, shortly after that, I did a year-long artist residency uh, downtown Charlotte. There's a venue called the McCall Center for Visual Art. Mm -hmm. And I had the Bell Tower Studio. It's an amazing place if you haven't been to visit it. It's an old church that they've converted into artist studios and galleries. And so I had a year-long residency there, and that was fantastic. I really enjoyed the focus that that gave me every day, going to a studio somewhere outside of my home to work. Mm -hmm. and by this point, my kids, uh, well, actually, no, my son was still at home. So, but after that, um, re after that residency finished, I never really set up my studio the same way again for making quilts or mixed media. By then I was doing both mixed media for walls mm -hmm. as well as quilts. And I think that the Gemini part of me kind of said, okay, well, that was really fun. And now I've done that. And what's next? <laughs> So that's kind of when I got back into knitting, which had, you know, I had done off and on since I was a child and had picked it up again in college and put it down and picked it up again. And that's when I thought, oh, you know what? In the 70s, um, 
I wanted to learn to quilt and I wanted to learn to spin. Okay, well, I learned to quilt back then. Now must be the time that I'm supposed to learn how to spin. Mm. And so I started researching spinning wheels and started spinning in 2008. And so. do you spin with a wheel? Do you drop spindle? Do you both? I really had trouble learning to try to spin on a spindle. Mm -hmm. I found it easier to learn on a wheel. And then after I had been spinning on the wheel for a little while, I said, oh, I bet I could do the drop spindle now because now I understand how to draft fiber. Mm -hmm. The process of learning how to handle the drop spindle at the same time as trying to understand drafting fiber was too much for my coordination. Mm -hmm. You know, Now I can do either one, but um, I, it, it just depends on where I am, which I tend to use either the wheel or the spindle. The spindles are more portable. Uh, the wheels are a little bit more relaxing because typically I'm sitting to spin instead of standing. <laughs> And for our listeners who are just like people, when they see a, a nice fancy car, what kind is it? But um, what kind of wheel do you use? So the first, my husband is incredibly supportive. And when I talked to him about buying a wheel, um, he said, you know, buy the wheel you want. Because so many people buy a wheel and then outgrow it and upgrade. And so I wanted, and so I, I, I didn't know what I wanted because I hadn't tried um, mm -hmm very many wheels yet. So I went to SAF that year. That must have been in 2007. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was going to look, but I wasn't ready to buy yet. And sat down at so many of the different booths that had wheels and treadled them because I really have found, for me, it's very important what the wheel feels like when you're fitting, sitting in front of it, mm -hmm. what it feels like treadling and how, how it looks to you, mm -hmm. um, just how it feels like it fits in front of you. And at that point, I sat in front of a shacked matchless ah. and I just, that was, that was, that was my wheel. <laughs> so that I mean, is just, your it, wheel. Yeah, that felt, that felt right. Mm -hmm. It just felt right. And it still does. I love that wheel. Okay. So you, so you author, you spin, you quilt, you also make the, you can design the fabric that you quilt with. Am I understanding that correctly? I, uh, I do some batik work. Is that what you're referring yes. to? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't very much anymore. Um, and I've also done some screen printing in the past, but I'm not currently uh, practicing that either. Okay. So that's one hand all the way filled up and a thumb. And so <laughs> <laughs> you also weave. Sometimes, not a lot, but I do some. And I have a rigid head of loom. I actually have two. I have the little shacked cricket. Mm -hmm. and, and then I have um, the shacked flip loom, which is uh, 20 inch. So it creates a wider piece of fabric than my cricket is just for 10 inches, which is great for scarves and coasters. And that's about it for me. So the, the wider one lets me make wraps and pillows and you know table runners and things that are a little bit wider. Well, I am going to have a photo in the blog alongside of this message because um, you, one of the fun things, back to the frolic, we, I was teaching a class when you guys were doing a, uh, a swap, a sign up for a swap. And I guess, is this something every year or was last year the first? It was the first year we had done that. Okay. Yep. So we, we had little papers that we filled out and, um, you could put one in for spinning or one in for knitting or something that you were going to make for your person. And we swapped and I was the lucky recipient of this gorgeous 
Oh my God. <laughs> I, it is absolutely gorgeous. It is a wrap that I, when I wear it, I really feel loved and to know that it's by your hands and it's just, and it's gray. <laughs> it's like all the gray I could ever want. I'm, I'm, I'm happy and I hope I'm sounding happy because I'm trying not to have such a thick throat because my eyes are tearing up, but I love this thing. And it's one of these relationships with it where I want to wear it all the time, but it's so precious and dear to me. I struggle. It's like, should, can I really wear it? in my pajamas <laughs> <laughs> or you know is it only for like the high tea if you're going oh, for something funny. special but um can you talk with us because this image will be up for people to see but can you okay. share with us um what it's like for you to weave something like this i still can't get my brain around it because there's so many different things going on with it but well, Weaving. first of all, in for that particular project, I knew it was going to you, and I know that you love gray as much as I do, so that, mm -hmm. that made that part really easy. And you'll appreciate knowing that the Tweety yarn that's in there is a yarn that I bought when I was in Michigan a few years ago shopping at a yarn shop with my mother. Oh. And the dark charcoal alpaca that's in there, I actually bought in Peru when my daughter was studying in South America, and my son and I went down to visit her. So it's got that connection too, because I know your family is really important to you as mm -hmm. it is to me. So yes. you know those those are added little things that I I don't think I wrote those in the note that I sent with it because I was in a hurry to get it to you on time. Um, so I you know I started with okay it has to be shades of gray because it's going to mel and you know <laughs> and in my world as in yours gray goes with everything and I want gray is know, everything yeah and so I I wanted it to be very versatile mm -hmm. and so I then started looking through and I know that you're always cold so I know that alpaca is a good bet because uh, alpaca is a really warm fiber <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, that's where that started was me thinking about the yarns that I could use um, now and to, then kind to of weave this uh, to to weave something like this is it extremely um, to me, it looks like it would be extremely labor intensive, very tiresome, very hard. Um, I, I'm not a weaver. I've done the little zoom loom once or mm -hmm. twice, but, um, and this is a very long wrap. It's, it's stunning, but is something like this, when you take on a project like this, is it very, um, is it like being married? <laughs> 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 no, my attention span is not that long. Uh, and let me clarify, I only weave on a rigid head of loom. So okay. if I have been weaving regularly, in other words, if I've been warping my loom regularly, mm -hmm. depending on how long of a warp I want to put on and how wide, I can have the loom warped and ready to go in an hour. Oh, wow. You know, now that's once I've made the choices, you know, right, what yarns sure, am sure. I going to use? How wide is it going to be? What heddle do I use? You know, how many of this color do I want? How many of that color? After the planning stage is done, the physically, you know, getting everything set up and warping the loom because I direct, and I think most people do onto a rigid heddle, they direct warp onto the loom. So there's no warping boards and all those things. Those are things I don't understand. Mm -hmm. So that part's really easy. You just need a space that's free that you can walk around from your loom to where your um, peg is mm -hmm. and that's dictating how long your finished item is going to be so that part is not terribly time consuming once the planning is done and then the weaving 
is it's just a matter of how efficient you are, whether you actually should sit down and pet the fabric every few inches, <laughs> or if you actually focus on you know weaving a few inches every time you sit down, it's amazing how quickly it can be done if you focus on it. So with, um, with your knowledge and the breadth of different things that you're involved in, um, with knitting, of course, it's knitting is portable and you can take it and do things with it. I would imagine, you know, you need to leave the loom where it is. But um, are are there techniques to weaving that um, that you can teach yourself? Is it is it something that you I'm just interested in it now after receiving this? I've just been thinking about how fun it is. Is it something that you really need to study or is it like knitting where you can kind of experiment and play around on and you know if it's not working it's actually for me really easy to rip out a bit of knitting and then continue on or is weaving something more I think of it as almost like scholarly you have to you have to be educated in the whole well, I think people who do real patterning on a loom, mm -hmm. I would agree that that's more scholarly. The rigid heddle, the weaving that I do tends to be fairly simple and I mm -hmm. let the yarn do the work. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I wouldn't say that weaving is, it's, you can't just tink back like you can with knitting. Oh, let me just rip that row out. I didn't do a very good job. If you've warped the loom, you can cut some threads off the loom, but it's much harder. Then you have to unwind the whole thing and re-thread. So, I would not think that you would want to backwards weave very often. So you're kind of committed as you go. But I'm sure well, there can, are things in place that kind of Right. You know, you can change the texture pattern, you can change the yarn that you're, you know, that you're doing the weft with to change the color if you decide, you know, you want to vary the colors or your textures or well, there's a lot that can be done on a rigid heddle loom with uh, pickup patterns, you can do lace patterns, you can do um, different different textures that are really very beautiful if you've got a yarn in which those textures will show. And so weaving um, is one of the classes offered. Yes, there is a beginning rigid heddle weaving class and then the Sayori inspired weaving class is also going to be done on a rigid heddle. There are specific looms, you know, geared for more flexibility with Sayori weaving, mm -hmm. but you can also do it on a rigid heddle loom and that's what the class at the retreat's going to be focused on. So, I don't know if listeners are feeling the same way as I am, but just listening to you and all the different things that you're involved in and that, that whole line, what's next, that's something that I'm going to take away from my conversation with you because now it's like, what is next? What, what is something new that I can try that I can, that I can um, bring into my, my little sphere and, and experiment with. And since receiving this beautiful wrap and the wonderful book, um, thank you so much for, um, it's just, it's inspired me now to, to look into it further. And that's a benefit of, of going out and getting involved in retreats and craft fairs and, and things of those nature where we can have a little taste test. So one more time for listeners, can you tell us where we can go for information and dates and anything else that might be helpful to us? The website is carolinafiberfrolic.com, and fiber is spelled the American way, F-I-B-E-R. And the dates are March 20 to 22. I haven't yet set the fall dates, so stay tuned for that. And uh, the easiest way to reach me for retreat information is jan at carolinafiberfrolic.com. Awesome. Um, yeah, and then the other organic thing that has grown out of um, – the retreat is 
my sewing bags. So we have oh, another custom, right. we have another custom bag coming for the spring retreat. And that organically grew last, a year ago fall. Mm -hmm. um, I always ask people for constructive ideas or how to improve things. And uh, the feedback that year was they want, they wanted uh, the opportunity to buy swag, something that had oh. Carolina Fiber Frolic <laughs> on it. And they were thinking, you know, tote bag, apron, whatever. And so as I have a sewing background, I thought, well, I could create, you know, a limited number of custom bags for the Carolina Fiber Frolic. So that was the first year I did that was spring of 2014. And so chose a fabric, got special tags made that say Carolina Fiber Frolic spring 2014. This year, they'll obviously say spring 2015. So it's a fabric, you know, limited edition for that retreat and people can pre-order those. And because the spring bags were popular last year that got me started making bags so now i'm making project and spindle bags oh nice and so yeah. where can people that maybe won't be able to go to the frolic i i bought several last year at the frolic and i've ordered others before from you and i love my bags they're designed perfectly they they fit and they're beautiful inside and out so it's makes you feel good to, to have them Thank you. Um, and my extra large sweater bag, um, I actually use as a purse. <laughs> I know. It's a, yeah, it was a big one. I'm surprised you could lift it. <laughs> I use it. I love it. But if, if, if we have people interested, all these things are going to be linked. But for those people who are just listeners and they are listening on their iPhone or device and they want to Google it now, where can they find you for your bags? The bags are in Etsy. And my Etsy store is under Jan B, as in boy, Jan B. Smiley. Jan That's B. What they were. Smiley. Yep. Well, Miss Jan B. Smiley, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you taking time out of your busy day to, to chat with me and to share yourself with listeners. Um, I hope some of the listeners today will be encouraged and excited to, to come to the frolic. There's one in the spring and there's one in the fall, Yes. Yes, the one in the fall is all retreat. We don't offer classes in the fall, so that's an opportunity to come and get to know people if you just want to work on your own projects and not have uh, the distractions of people coming and going to classes. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jan. I sincerely appreciate it, and we'll say aloha to everyone. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about the retreat and to chat with you, and I'm so glad that you like your alpaca-based wrap. I love Yay. it. Thank Yay. you. Great. I had such a wonderful time with Jan, and I'm very excited that you had the opportunity, dear listener, to spend time with both of us. It's always so much fun to meet other people and to hear their story and to be inspired by things that they are doing. If you'd like more information on anything that we chatted about, or if you want to, to see what's going on in the Carolina Fiber Frolic goodness, Feel free to pop over to the Withmel blog and look for the show notes and the links. While you're there, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. Signing up for the newsletter is a bit different than just signing up for blog updates. The newsletter is packed full of some really great fun. In fact, people who subscribe to the newsletter get a special pattern that is exclusive just to newsletter recipients, and they get that as a gift in their birthday month. So if you have already signed up for the newsletter, be sure to go back and make sure that in your settings that you include your birth date month. You don't have to tell us the year, although 
there's nothing wrong with no matter what age you find yourself. Um, we'd love to get you out a, a free pattern as my way of saying mahalo nui loa to you for being a part of the With Mel family. I look forward to all the fun to be had over this 2015, and I am very excited and hopeful to see some of you at the Carolina Fiber Frolic this March. My best aloha is to you, and I wish you much joy, peace, and happy knitting. And as always, thank you for joining me.